Welcome to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger of Story Point Church, located in the heart of Gulf Breeze, Florida. And now, here's Pastor Jeff Spooniebarger for this week's message from Story Point Church. Open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5, the very last verse of chapter 5, it's verse 23. Galatians 5, 23, and then we're going to get into 6. And then following. And so Jesus said, don't turn there, but Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, he said, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me or upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I've had probably a half dozen conversations this week that went kind of like this. Jeff, man, I'm in the middle of the fight. I'm just not sure I can make it. Man, I, I, I want to hold on. I want to do what's right. But I just, I'm not sure that I can keep on going on. It is so difficult and it is so tough. I just, I'm just not sure if it's even worth fighting. And inside, I just kind of smiled. I don't think I said this out loud. Maybe I did. But I just kind of smiled and I said to myself, you know, there's an answer for that. And God has already prepared it and God has already sent it. Because on Sunday... I'm going to tell you what God says about holding on and about pursuing what God says to pursue and seeing the fruitful results of it. You know, at 48, I can look back and I can remember what it was like to be 20, and I remember what it was like to be 15, and I remember what it was like to be 32, and I can remember all of the struggles. And at 48, I still have struggles, but my point is, the older you get, the more you realize that it is just a constant battle with the flesh. Amen? It's this constant wrestling. It's this constant fighting. And, it, and it's not like you're long distance fighting, shooting a, a sniper rifle. It is hand-to-hand combat. It is grappling. It is, it is one-to-one. And I remember what it's like to fulfill the desires of the flesh and then live by the Spirit. And so I want to say to you that it gets better the longer you fight. Amen? I want to say to you that if you're 20, you're in the thick of it, but the longer you remain fighting, the longer you realize that you've got some tools at your disposal that really are the nuclear option. And it makes all the difference in the world when you're able to figure that out. And so in Galatians chapter 5, verse 26, this is the wrong place for this verse. It really, Galatians 5:26 really should be Galatians 6:1. But you understand that God didn't write the numbers and the verses, man did. And so when they were figuring this up, they somehow put this as a, as a hanger on verse 5. But really, the passage should be read like this. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one, one another. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in a wrongdoing, you who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves that you also won't be tempted Carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each person examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself alone, and not compare himself with someone else, for each person will have to carry his own load. Verse 26 says that we're not to become conceited, provoking another, and envying one another. I believe there are three kinds of people in this room or watching by way of Facebook or TV. 
The three kinds of people are these. On the one side, you have the people who are living by the Spirit. There, there's a spiritual maturity, but there's also a spirituality that is, that is Christ-centered and biblically-centered. And so the, it, it's the people who, uh, they may not be doing everything right, but to the best they can, they're living by the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit is evident in, the, in, in their life. And the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Don't you just love hearing that list? I, I realize that I say that all the time, and it's because I never get tired of what the fruit of the Spirit is in our life. Because if, if you've got the fruit of the Spirit in your life, life, even though it may be tough, life is good. You cannot have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and life not be good. Because that's the move of, that, that means that God is in you, and He's, he's working through you, and He's present there. So one kind of person in this room is those, are those who are living by the Spirit. We'll say it this way. You're living a victorious life. doesn't mean that you don't struggle, but it means by and large you are in God's program. That's a bad way to say it. You are, you are doing and being led as God leads you. On the other side, you have those who are completely oblivious to anything of God. You have those who just, life is just happening, and, and so spiritual things are just not part of your gig, and so you're, you're, just, you're just doing the best you can with what you have, and quite frankly, um, pleasure is so important to you because pleasure is the only thing worth living for if there's nothing else. Think about it. Pleasure is where you, you, you sense uh, some sort of happiness or some sort of joy, and so the pursuit of pleasure is, is pretty much all you have to make you feel good. But then right in the middle is honestly where I think most people rest, most believers stay. I, this is my opinion, and so you can take that in accord and you still can't make a phone call if you could ever find a payphone, right? But I don't think most people uh, who, who, are, who are in, in uh, the church world are, are living in the Spirit. And I don't think most people in church world are, are just not thinking anything spiritual at all. I think most of us are in this middle ground, this, this place of just in the battle and in the fight and wrestling and, and struggling with the flesh and the freedom that comes by the Spirit. So I think that's where most people live. Now, to be fair, what God wants is for you and I to live in the Spirit. But most of us are right here in this messy middle. And the problem or the, the difficulty in being in the messy middle is it seems like it will never, ever end. And it seems like the, the flesh is kicking your butt. Can I say that in church? You know what I mean, right? It, it, it seems like you're just being pounded. And it's that feeling of, I want to give up because it's too hard. But I know I can't give up because I know that it's... It, it, it's worth fighting. Anybody identify with that? And so what the Scripture says is this. There are those who are living in the Spirit. There are those who are fulfilling the desires of the flesh. And it's the job of those who are living in the Spirit to reach out and help to rescue those who are living in the flesh. Verse 26 says, let us not become conceited. He's talking to those who are faithful to the gospel, those who are living in the Spirit. And he's saying, don't become conceited. Don't become arrogant. Don't provoke one another. Don't envy one another. In other words, remember where you came from 
Because you at one point were in that same space. Allow your heart to be humble and allow your heart uh, to, to produce fruit that is kind. And in doing so, it says verse 1, Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in a wrongdoing, you who are spiritual are to restore such, restore such a person with a gentle spirit. I love the way this verse is, is understood because in the original language of the text, it's more than just what the English words say. It says, brothers and sisters. He's speaking of the family of God. He's saying, you who are part of the church, you who know Jesus, you who call yourselves um, God's family, those of you, uh, or, or if someone is overtaken in a wrongdoing. So overtaken is a word that in the Greek... Uh, now, you might have a NIV or King James, and it might have the word caught, those who are caught in sin. Overtaken is really a better translation or a better understanding of the word because it could mean that you just get caught with your hand in the cookie jar, like it's been revealed what's going on, but it probably means something different. It probably is not a willful, deliberate, premeditated sinning. It's probably the idea of being out in the water and the undertow sweeps your feet out from under you and you're doing all you can do to try to stand up, but you can't because the current is so strong. It is, it is too much for you to bear. That's probably what it means. So if those of you who were under, uh, overtaken in, in, in any wrongdoing... And it's, again, it, the word there might be trespass. So it's, it's not necessarily a deliberate sin, but it's sin nonetheless. You're just caught in it and you're tumbling. It says those who are spiritual are to restore such a person. It brings to mind this news article or this TV article that I saw one time where there was somebody out in the water drowning, one of our local beaches, and there were no lifeguards around, and so all of the people on the beach just made a human chain, and they grabbed each other's hand. They, they would grab wrist to hand, and they extended that, that chain all the way out into the water. I think it might have been a whole family that was struggling. And one by one, together, they would pull the, the people back in, and all of them were rescued. That's what the Bible's talking about. Those of us who are spiritual are to recognize those who are caught or overtaken by sin, and we are to seek to restore them gently. That's why verse 26 says, don't become conceited and don't provoke one another. We're to restore them gently because our desire is not for condemnation. Our desire is not for justice. Our des not, desire is not to, to out them as, as a person who deserves to, to be shamed, our desire is to restore them. Always, the people of God's job is restoration. And let me say it differently. Our job is to bring people to the restorer so He can do the restoration. Isn't it amazing how sometimes we forget that grace is the most powerful tool or powerful gift we have? What is grace? It's unmerited, unearned favor. It's undeserved. Somebody might say, well, you, you don't want to give too much grace. Listen, if I want to be accused of something, I want to be accused of being a lavish grace giver. One who just refuses to cast judgment. One who just purposefully gives grace upon grace upon grace. Why? Because I think when you stand before God, God's never going to say, you know what? Everything was pretty good, but the one thing you did too much of was... You lavished grace on people. 
I just can't ever imagine those words coming out of God's mouth. Can you? Grace, again, is undeserved favor. So if it's undeserved, how could you ever give too much? And I know what you might say. Well, wait a minute. We need to be, we need to be just. We, we, we need to tell the truth. We do. Justice is important. You, you don't just let something slide because there's, there's a result for sin. But, but justice and grace are not opposing um, actions. Just as love and grace, or rather truth and grace, are not opposing. You can be 100% truth and 100% grace. Here's how you do it. The truth is not your truth, and it's not my truth, it's God's truth. You hold up the Word of God and you say, this is what God says. But God also said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You say, well, but yeah, we got to bring people to justice. Yeah, within the court system, and there, there's obviously justice is important, but I truly believe, because God's Word tells me, that God is the one who will mete out justice. I don't have to be the judge and the arbiter of justice because I know God will do so. And all I have to do is look back, and the Bible's about to tell us, look back at myself and say, do I want for myself what I'm wanting for other people? Isn't that funny how we do that? We want other people to face justice, but we don't want to face it ourselves. We want mercy and grace on us, but we don't want mercy and grace on them. Because they don't deserve it, but somehow we do. Folks, listen. If we're anything, we ought to be a people of extravagant grace. No, there's... It, 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 you ever wonder why when somebody's having a hard time, they oftentimes go to a bar? They sit down. As a matter of fact, if you watch any TV show, if you watch any movie, when, when, uh, especially cop shows, the end of ending scene of every cop show is what? They're always back at the bar getting a drink and they're, they're, they're uh, um, tending each other's wounds. Why? Because there's a sense of understanding. There's this sense of, hey, we're all in this together. This is tough and this is hard. We get this. What really should happen is when somebody is, is in the worst shape of their lives, instead of going to the bar, they should come to the church. And we ought to welcome people with open arms and with gracious love and enormous grace. Amen? That's who we are as God's people. You don't have to worry about the judgment. God will deal with that. You don't have to worry about if I give them grace, it's going to make them think that I don't think that sin is a big deal. No, we obviously agree with God on sin. I mean, I, I do. And, and, and I know from what I've seen of you, you do. But giving grace is not at the expense of truth. In fact... Grace is so powerful when truth is spoken. What you deserve is this. What I'm going to give you is this. You don't deserve a second chance. But neither did I. You don't deserve my friendship. You've abused it and you've broken it. But I'm going to offer it to you anyways. You can have anything of mine but my donuts. That's, those are mine. Somebody brought me donuts today, and I'm very grateful. So this whole concept, though, is that you and I are the ones who God has placed on this earth to be His grace givers. Because flesh and blood is important. That's why the Bible says the Word became flesh. God could have saved us in any way He chose, but He chose to send His only begotten Son. 
Why? Because as humans, well, part of the why, not the full theological reason, part of the reason was that we needed to see in the flesh God and who He was. That's why the Word was made flesh. So we understood that He loved us that much and He did pay that kind of a massive, monstrous price. So the Scripture says that we are to restore such a person with a gentle spirit. So the intention is restoration with gentleness. God, forgive us for all the times we were harsh when we should have been gentle. Um, You ever notice how Christians can tend to be uh, somewhat judgmental and somewhat harsh? You ever notice that? You ever been the object of that? What's even worse, have you ever been the one who's been the harsh one or the judgmental one? I think a lot of that has to do with zeal. When we're young and when we, when we believe the Scripture, our zeal can oftentimes outpace the grace. That's a bad place to be. Jesus talked, or the Scripture talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? If you have all of these things, prophecy and tongues and all, but you have not love, you're just a noisy symbol. You're just a clanging symbol. If you don't have love, then you've got to stop and go all the way back to the basics. Love is the foundation for everything. That's why when we see the list of the fruit of the Spirit, all nine of them, and we remember, it's not fruits, it's fruit. There's one fruit, and the fruit comes out as love, joy, peace. Love is the first one mentioned. Why? Because without love, none of those things are possible. Kindness is a result of love. Joy is a result of love, and so on and so forth. And so the Scripture tells us that we are to restore gently those, but in doing so, we're to watch out so that we ourselves are not tempted. And the idea here is, if I'm going to rescue someone who's drowning, the reason I want to rescue somebody with help doing that is because if I'm not careful, the one who is drowning will cause me to drown. And where there is one victim before, now there's two. We've got to be careful because when we think we're standing tall, if we're not, if we're not aware of our own failures and our own, uh, oh, what's the word, our own fragility, maybe that's not the right word, our own humanness, then we might fall right into what the situation the person we're trying to rescue is. There's a famous preacher that used to be on Bourbon Street named Bob Harrington. I think that was his last name. And that's exactly what happened to him. He was known as the Bourbon Street preacher. Chaplain of Bourbon Street. That's right. He was a man of God. There's no doubt in my mind that he believed the gospel. He stood strong on the word of God. He would preach on the corners. And hundreds, if not thousands of men and women over the years had come to faith in Jesus because of it. And yet I'm telling his story, not because of all that that was done, but because his legacy is that he got caught in the activities of Bourbon Street. And his reputation was soured and the gospel got a black eye because he himself, trying to rescue, became one who needed to be rescued. May we be awfully careful that we not allow our attempt to rescue someone pull us down into the bottom of the barrel where we're trying to rescue them. Does that make sense? In fact, I think I could point to multiple people who that's happened to, and it's a shame. So the next verse tells us how we are to do these rescues. Verse 2 says, Carry on one another's burdens, or carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. 
For if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And so let each person examine his own work and then he can take pride in himself alone, not compare himself with someone else, for each person will have to carry his own load. You say, wait a minute, that's a contradiction. There's two contradictions there. Number one, it says that we're to carry one another's burdens, but then verse 5 says carry your own load. How does that work? Well, it has to do with the word burden and load. They're two different words in the Greek. The word burden means this this, uh, heavy weight that is impossible or extremely difficult for one man to carry. It's this idea of having such a heavy load that it crushes you and pushes you into the ground where without somebody else's help, you're not going to be able to get out from under it. So the Bible says we're to carry one another's burdens. The word load, that we're to carry our own load, that word load is a small manageable weight. It's not necessarily something bad. It's anything that is ours to carry. And here's the point. You're never going to rescue someone who's not carrying part of the load themselves. It's the whole idea of an alcoholic not being able to find help until they actually realize, hey, I'm an alcoholic. Or any type of addiction. If they don't realize that they're, they're in the state they're in, no matter how bad you want them to be set free, you're not going to set them free, right? And it has to do with the idea of when a person is wrestling with the, the, the weight of sin, you can't get the sin off of them. You can't fix the lust. You can't fix the brokenness. You can't fix the greed. Something in them is going on, and so they have to do as much work on it as you do. But you see how it balances it out. He's saying, I've got to carry my own load, but you're there to help carry the burden. You ever notice how everybody has their own lot in life? Everybody has a different script, so to speak. Some of you might have had a marvelous family life, and some of you might have had a horrendous family life. And you ever notice how you didn't choose that? And you could could be upset and you could be mad at God and bitter that you had, did not have a great family life growing up and your childhood has all kinds of scars. And then on the other side, you could become arrogant and egotistical and prideful that you didn't have that kind of a family life. But do you know that each of us has our own load to carry? You might have a current situation that you never signed up for and you never hoped for, but it is where you are. And if that's the case, you can't just relegate that load to somebody else. you got to stare it straight in the face and say, this is where I am. But also know that you're not there alone. This is where I am, but I can't lift this on my own. But the people who are spiritual, the people who are filled with the Spirit, recognize the burden and recognize the weight, and they walk over. They don't have to say anything. They don't have to make any judgments. They just have to reach down and grab a piece and say, let's go. Or just, just kind of nod. You ever notice that sometimes words aren't sufficient, but a nod is? Just a look in the eyeballs is? It's kind of that understanding of, I got you. I'm with you. We're in this together. And here's the really cool part. The very next verse seems out of place. Oops. 
It seems out of place, but it actually makes sense. It says, let the one who is taught the Word share all good things with his teacher. In other words, when you're there lifting up the burden, the person under the burden and the person helping to lift or the people helping to lift, they all share in that experience. They all share the joy of it. They all share the sorrow of it. They all share the, the hope of it. They all share the glory of that burden being truly lifted. You ever notice how it's way more fun to help than sometimes it is to receive? Why? Because it's purpose. It's why you were created. There's something innate about you. The reason you exist is to do the work of the Father. And the work of the Father is always about restoration through grace. Always. And so as the Scripture tells us, that each person will have to carry his own load, but he doesn't have to carry it himself. So I wonder, where are you in this, in this passage today? Are you the one with the burden? Now we're talking specifically about the works of the flesh, but it really could be anything. Are you the one with the burden who it's too weighty, it's too heavy? You don't have to carry that alone, but you do have to carry a piece of it. Nobody can do it for you. You know, our culture today has this idea that it's an easy, it's an easy dollar, it's a quick fix, it's a, it's a, a, a fast way to being a millionaire. Post a couple videos, become an influencer, whatever, whatever. But listen, that's, that's the exception, not the norm. Amen? Your life is going to be hard. It just is. Wish I had better news for you. Actually, I do. The heart of your life doesn't have to keep you hopeless or joyless. But the heart of your life is what the Bible says God uses to refine you and build you and secure for you a hope and a future. And then use that hardship in your life to come back around and help other people who don't have the hope that you do now. I hope that you never despise where you came from. I hope that, that you never let shame keep you from proclaiming the goodness of God as evidenced in your life. That's what Paul meant when he said, don't be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a person sows, he'll also reap because the one who sows flesh will reap the destruction of the flesh. Actually, go back. That's what he meant in verse 4. Let each person examine his own work and then he can take pride in himself alone. That's what he meant by that. The pride that you have is not in the fact that, that you're good. The pride is that the fact that God is good and he's evidenced that goodness in your life. So now let's move on to the next verse. Verse 6. Almost done here. i got four minutes. Whew. You have no idea how hard it is to go through a passage in 30 minutes. I mean, you're either skimming the top or you're bogged down in a word, but, it's, but you can't do both. Verse 6, here's where I really want to rest. Let the one who's, uh, or verse 7, don't be deceived, for God is not mocked. Whatever a person sows, he will also reap, because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. As I read this verse this week, my mind instantly went back to all of the men of God who did great works for God, and yet their lives ended in shame or embarrassment or even just disappearing. The most notable recently would be Ravi Zacharias. 
It pains me to tell you His name. But do you know that if you go on YouTube, you will not find any of the works of Robbie Zacharias anymore? Unless it's what somebody else posted as a way of critiquing and making sure that you know his failure. I don't know if you know this, Ravi Zacharias was an apologist worldwide. He spoke in universities. He spoke in, in, in high events, low events. He was well known as a, as a, uh, a preacher of the gospel and a person who, who combated the, the untruths of the faith or the things against the faith. And yet Ravi had a secret life. And his secret life was not exposed until after he died. And as I thought of that, this verse reminds me that those who sow to the flesh will reap what the flesh produces. All of his work was put in a trash can. It's not to say that he didn't do good work. I think it's a real shame when we discount somebody in what they do because of some of the other things. It doesn't mean that... that um, that everything he did was like that. It just means that he was a human and he failed miserably. But here's the point. You and I aren't at his level of influence, but we're at a level of influence. We need to be careful because if you sow in the flesh, you will reap what the flesh reaps. But if you sow in the Spirit, you will reap what the, sow, the Spirit reaps. Are you following me here? Ravi is one example. I could name you preacher after preacher after preacher whose entire life's work was completely shut off. The candle was snuffed out because their life behind the scenes didn't match their life in front of the cameras. I'm not saying that as judgment. I'm saying that as a, we got to really be careful because if any of us are susceptible to that. Verse 9 tells us the last thing that I want to leave us with. Let us not get tired of doing good. Let us not get tired of doing good. For we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. It seems like the work that you do for the kingdom is oftentimes in vain. It seems like oftentimes you're just spinning your wheels it seems like so many times it's not worth the pain of being faithful to the gospel because you're just not seeing anything. It seems as though the wrestling, just you, you might as well give up because you don't feel like you're going to win. But the Bible says that we're not to grow tired of doing good. Why? Because the scripture says we will reap a harvest at the proper time if we don't give up. Here's what I have learned in my 48 years of life. I've learned that God takes the long view of life. I've learned that I am not finished yet, and I am so far away from where I want to be, but I've learned that if I will just faithfully do the right thing each and every day, and when I sin, I go back and I repent and I start all over again. And when I do things right, I don't pat myself on the back. I say, thank you, God, for your grace. And I've learned that if I'm consistent and faithful, I can look back and I can see a history of how God has worked in my life and through my life. You are evidence of that. You know, it's a weird thing to be a pastor of a church for 
18 years. You see it all. Nothing surprises you anymore. Nothing makes you go, hmm, didn't see that coming. It's a weird thing because, you know, there are, this is just being honest, there are times when, when I've preached and I'm like, man, this is, this is pointless. Man, it's just... And then five years later, six years later, somebody comes back and says, you know what? Remember on that day when you used that illustration? Man, that's just, that just right here. Man, that changed, that changed something in me. And I'm going, I did that? See, here's the thing. It's not about me. And it's not even about you. It's about a work of God. It's about God using you and using me for His purposes. And if you will stay the course, and if you will faithfully speak truth and lavish grace, you will be able to look back on your life and see that you had an impact for God's kingdom that you never could have planned or even realized God was going to do. That is the absolute truth. So we don't get any of the glory. We don't want the glory. If we get the glory now, that's all we get. And I'm not willing to trade glory from you for the glory that will come from the Father. Amen? We just do what we're called to do. I told you about Sam Marcinick, right? He's the guy a couple weeks ago I spoke of. He does baseball clinics, and he's a pro ball player, got hurt. Well, we, Josh, me, and Michael went to um, uh, his place in, in Lower Alabama, and we filmed an interview, and, and we just released that thing this past week. As of now, it's almost 2,000 views that have seen this story. But what's really cool, and I texted Sam just yesterday, I said, hey, Sam, you know, what you really wanted was to be the greatest pitcher ever. You want to be Hall of Fame because you want to be remembered for something. I said, you know what? I think that what you've done is far greater than the Hall of Fame could ever have offered you. What you've done is you've impacted people's lives for all of eternity. And I have to think back on that. Do you know that God crushed his dream of playing ball? He did not get what he wanted. But he got something far better. Can't even describe to you how wide and how broad his ministry is. And let me tell you. He doesn't stand on a stage and say, look at me, look what I did. He's humble and he's gentle and he says, it's all God. That's the life I want to live and that's the life I pray you'll want to live. Amen? Will you close your eyes and bow your head for just a moment? I want to invite you today to two things. One, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to say yes to Jesus. Remember he said, come to me. The first time you come is to come and say, Jesus, forgive me. For my sin separates me from you. And I want to be in a relationship. Thanks to what you've done on the cross. Today, will you give your life to Jesus? Trust him as your Savior and as your Lord. The second thing is, I want you to examine your life. Are you living by the Spirit? Are you gratifying the desires of the flesh? Will you ask God to do whatever He needs to do in you so that you can be living on the side of the victorious Christian 
life. But I want you to remember that praying that prayer means you're going to lose something. Because if that weren't the case, then you'd already be there. But what you lose will never, never be worse than what you will gain. As it was once said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Father, I, in this moment I pray that you would marvelously open up the depths of our heart to those places that we, we think we've got locked shut and hidden from you. And Father, would you let the gift of repentance flow in and through us. God, I pray that you would help us to be brutally honest with who we are and completely transparent with you, asking you to, to clean out anything in us, to take away whatever needs to be taken away so that you can, you can fill every single part of our life with the, with the gospel so that your spirit would be evident in us. Father, I thank you for your people today. I pray that you would bless us for your name's sake.